So much of Christmas is about the clothes, isn't it? It's about the ugly Christmas sweater that you will wear to the holiday party at your office because you're fun. It's about the coordinated outfit that you put together for the Christmas card that you haven't actually sent out yet. It's about the matching pajamas that you and the kids will all wear on Christmas Eve. So much of Christmas is about the clothes. We put a lot of time, effort, and energy into what we wear this time of year. And for good reason. The clothing of Christmas tells a story. At the very least, it tells the world how much this season matters to us. It tells the world that we are intent on having some meaningful moments, that we are intent on making memories as people of Jesus in the time of Advent and Christmas. The same can be true in the scriptures. The clothing in the scriptures tells a story. Like so many other seemingly small elements in the biblical narrative, virtually every mention, every significant mention of clothing in the scriptures is is an allusion, it is a foreshadowing, It it is a preview of the work that God is ultimately going to do in clothing the world in forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And throughout the season of Advent, we are going to look at some of the clothing that is mentioned in the biblical narrative, and we're going to draw the line from the clothing in the biblical narrative to the arrival of Jesus Christ and the robe of righteousness he will wrap all of us in through his life, death, and resurrection. And today, today we start in perhaps an unusual place. We start in Genesis chapter 3. Ironically, our our dive into the clothing that points us to Christ starts with no clothing at all. Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3, are naked and afraid. They have taken this perfect place and this perfect relationship, and within mere moments, they have ruined it. They have rejected God's leadership, his love in their life, and they have said, we are better off on on our own. In fact, that's how all of this mess got started. Adam and Eve were the first to buy the lie that all of humanity has been struggling with ever since. We talk about it all the time because it's so central to humanity's struggle in this world. Adam and Eve bought a lie that you and I still struggle with, and the lie is we are better off on our own. It's the world's oldest lie. God had made them. God had gifted them the garden. God walked among them, and yet through a little bit of lying from Satan, they were able to say to themselves, you know what? I think we could do without him. And so in Genesis chapter 3, we we meet Adam and Eve getting what they've asked for. God says to them, "I I will give you what you have desired. You want a life further from me? You want a life outside of my blessings? You want a life where you have to be You have to be self-sufficient? Well, here you go. And, And divine judgment is really ushered into Adam and Eve's existence. And this is where death comes from. It's it's punishment. This is where disease, difficulty, all of it comes from. It comes from a humanity that said, we can do this on our own. And God says, here's what it's like apart from me. You die, you struggle, you suffer. It's awful. But, but not only do those difficulties enter into the human existence, but also there is a distance between humanity and God that gets introduced. And you see that in the final piece of judgment that's given to Adam and Eve at the end of Genesis chapter 3. They are told life is going to be difficult. They are told that death now exists. They are told that life is rife with struggle. 
But then God does something else. He takes Adam and Eve and he exits them from the garden. It's like when you get fired from a job. He puts all their stuff in a box and security ushers them out the east exit of Eden and God puts a cherubim, he puts an angel with a fiery sword to guard the entrance so that they might not ever come back in. Listen to this, Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 23. The Lord God therefore banished Adam from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he'd been taken. He expelled Adam, stationing the cherubim and the fiery revolving sword east of the garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. From that moment forward, Adam and Eve and all of their descendants would live a life exposed to the elements of a sin-sick world. Expelled from the garden, living east of Eden, not just outside of the garden, but, but distant from the, the blessing and the love and, and, a, and a full, unfiltered relationship with God. They would experience death, disease, difficulty, all kinds of things. Living east of Eden, they were subject to all the vulnerabilities of life in a difficult and broken world. And we are still dealing with those difficulties, Amen. to say the very least. Uh, look, I know that as we enter the holiday season, it is the happiest time of the year, right? That's what we're told anyway. Christmas music has been playing since before Halloween. <laughs> Hallmark movies are on repeat. There's a stack of invitations in your inbox to various holiday parties and things. You're starting to get Christmas cards of everybody's cute family. Like, like the beautiful things, the fun things are all beginning. You're making your giant list of Amazon orders. Boxes are arriving at the house. It's here. It's happening, folks. It's the greatest time of the year. But, but you and I also know that for many of us, it is also a very difficult time of year where, where the pains and the struggles of life in this world are amplified almost in equal measure to, to the joy of the holiday season. I mean, ask any, any doctor, any therapist, any pastor, certainly, about this time of year, and they will tell you that it is one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult, period, time of year for people in this world. And, and from my experience, what, what I've noticed is that what, what, what people are dealing with the heaviest this time of year can be encapsulated in one word, grief. There's an immense amount of grief that comes to the surface for, for so many of us this time of year. And grief is, is, is more than just the loss of a loved one, although that's certainly part of it. Grief, is, gr grief comes in many and various forms. So yes, for some, th this time of year is very difficult because it, it's the first Christmas that you will have experienced without that loved one, without your spouse or without your child or, or, or without your best friend. And every time you get a card where you see the happy family still together, everybody's still kicking and breathing, it's, it's a sting to your soul. That, that is grief. That is grief, of course. But, but it's also the financial pressure that you feel this time of year. There's the Christmas that you would love to give to your family and to your friends and even to yourself, but for whatever reason, be it student debt or underemployment or bad decisions, you just, you just can't make it possible. You would love to spoil everybody. You want to, but you can't. And that feeling of want to, but can't, that, that's grief too. That's grief. Or this time of year, you are keenly aware of some of the relationships that just aren't right. There's the in-law that won't talk to you leaves you out of every group text, doesn't send a card to you, gives you the cold shoulder at the family event. 
Or, or there's the grown child who continues to make a mess of her life and has a deep source of frustration but for some reason just blames you. Or, or there's the friend who, well, used to be a friend, but now every time you reach out to them, there's this weird coldness and distance, and you wish with those people you could just show up to the party and hug them. You could text them Merry Christmas and get a text right back. You could send them a card or get one from them, but you can't. You wish you could, but you can't. And, and that's grief too. Or then there's, there's just the, the mountain of guilt that people carry with them over various things they shouldn't have done, but they did and a long list of things they should have done but didn't. And that guilt and that shame just stays with us, and for whatever reason, guilt and shame seem to rear their ugly head at Christmas, and, and we wish we could go back and change the past, but we can't. We wish we could, but we can't. And that's grief, too. You know, grief is, is defined like this. Grief is anguish over loss and unmet expectations. It's that anguish you feel when something isn't there that should be there, or when things don't go the way they should have. It's that, it's that emotion that you feel when there's a gap between what you had and what you have. Between what you expected and what happened. Between what you needed uh, and what you got. That feeling is grief. And, and that is right at the surface for so many of us this time of year. And that gap, that feeling, that grieving, you can draw a straight line directly from that all the way back to the garden. That is where it all started. Amen. So, so, so question for you, how and where right now, this season of life, are you feeling the effects of Genesis chapter three? Let's have a moment of, of emotional honesty, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of a self-check-in, so to speak. What are you grieving this time of year? Where is there an unmet expectation? Where is there a loss that you feel? Can, can, you, can you do a little bit of that work inside? Can you recognize that? It, it's healthy for us to admit that we feel those things and experience those things. Back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are, are getting this punishment from God. They're about to be expelled. And yet it's very clear that, that they are unfit for this new reality outside of Eden. And it becomes clear as you, as you read the story that, that Adam and Eve are not just being punished, but they are particularly vulnerable. Remember, they, they, are, they are naked and ashamed. And up to this point, their nakedness was of really little account in the story. It was, it was symbolic of, of their purity, before the fall into sin and of their safety in God's presence. There was no vulnerability. There was no fear at all. But now, now that they have sinned and sin has entered into the world and with it all these repercussions, with it death, difficulty, disease, and with them being pushed out into that harsh, harsh world that we all now live in, their nakedness is a liability to say the least. And it is also a constant reminder of what they've done wrong and how vulnerable they are. Every time they look at each other and look at themselves, they are reminded of what they've done to ruin everything. And so as you read the text, kind of a question emerges behind the scenes. Will God let them go out into this awful world, east of Eden, wearing nothing but their shame and totally vulnerable 
to this sin-sick world? And the answer, of course, is no. No, he won't. And this is where we get the first piece of clothing that we look at in Advent. Look at this. You may have overlooked this in the reading a moment ago. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Now, Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. Don't overlook that. God made clothes. With his, with his own two God hands. I mean, that's this is, this is what the text says. God made clothes. And not only says that he clothed them, but it says that he, the implication there is he dressed them. So, so God, God, God makes clothing for them. And then he dresses them before he escorts them into the harsh world. Now, if you were to Google who was the first fashion designer, who, like, who is the, who is the, the father or mother of, of couture fashion, Google will tell you all about this guy. This guy is Charles Frederick Worth. He's an Englishman who lived in Paris in the late 19th century. That is everything that I know about him other than the fact that he can, he can really wear a mean hat, can't he? <laughs> According to Google, that's the first fashion designer, the first fashion designer of note. But according to what we've just read, if you want to get technical, the first fashion designer is really God himself. God made clothing for his people and he dressed them. But, but he didn't work in, in fig leaves like Adam did when Adam tried to cover himself and he didn't even grab some cotton from the rest of the garden. God worked in leather. He, he killed animals to make coverings for Adam and Eve. Don't skip over this part. This is the most important part. Remember where we are in the story. At this particular moment, sin is new, and the implications like death are brand new. And up until this moment, nothing had died. Nothing had shed its blood. Nothing had ever given its last breath. Nothing warm and full of life had ever become stiff and cold. Nothing at all. And even though Adam and Eve are the ones who brought the curse of death upon them and humanity, they are not the ones who first received the punishment of death. It is an innocent third party, some innocent animal that receives the death that then God uses. God sheds its blood. God kills it. And God takes it. And he fashions clothing, a covering for his sinful people so that they might go out into the broken and evil world with their shame covered and protected from the worst that that world had to offer. God made clothes with his own two hands. Now, what kind of God would do that? It's one thing to just, you know, say, hey, here's a gift card, go shopping. It's another to say, I'm God, you have rejected my care, but now I'm going to care for you anyway, and I am going to, at cost to myself of energy, get blood on my own two hands so that I might fashion for you clothing that will cover your shame and protect you in the harsh elements of this world. What kind of God would do that with his own two hands? Are you starting to see it yet? How this clothing 
how this clothing is a picture of the coming king. Are you starting to see how it's a hint, a glimpse, a glimmer, a foreshadowing, a preview of the work that Jesus Christ would do? You see, in the very beginning, God not only responded to their sin, but he had in mind your sin. In the beginning, he not only responded to their shame that they wore and the vulnerability that they had as they went into a broken world, but he had in mind your shame and your vulnerability in the broken world that you and I are going to live in. From the very beginning, you see, it wasn't the last piece of clothing that God the Father would fashion through flesh and blood with his own two hands. It was just a preview of the ultimate clothing that he would make when he sends his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. He sends his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. He sends an innocent third party to take the death upon his body even though we're the ones who deserve the punishment. you see the connection? To take the death upon his body so that through his shed blood on his own hands, there might be a covering made for humanity. And that covering made for humanity is a covering of forgiveness. And that forgiveness hides, indeed it erases everything that you have to be shameful over. And it also makes true certain promises that protect you in the middle of an awful, evil world to which you are incredibly vulnerable. In Jesus Christ, a covering is made for humanity, the whole of humanity. And it is a covering that covers over your sin and shame completely and also guarantees for you certain protections. It guarantees for you certain protections. You you have a life that will never end. You you have a spirit inside of you to lead you and guide you until the very end. And you have a name that's been placed upon you as son or daughter of God that cannot be taken or stolen from you. Yes, you still feel the difficulties of this world, but you will not be owned by them, destroyed by them. You will overcome them at the return of the king of this world. Jesus Christ. That's the full promise. That's the full promise. Look, I, I don't know what you're experiencing this time of year. I know there's, there's so much good, but let's be honest, there's also so much difficulty. We, we experience the, the harsh elements of living east of Eden each and every day. And what you need to know is that as you experience the gap between you and God, as you experience the grief that comes with human existence that we feel so palpably this time of year, what what I, I long for you to remember is that there is a greater covering coming for you that indeed you have already received. That's what makes Advent so important. That's what makes Christmas such a celebration. A greater covering is coming. And and look, it it is better than all the other ways in which you seek to cover yourself. Because that's the other thing to keep in mind here. We are are aware of the gap and the struggle and the grief that we carry, and we try to cover our own shame. We try to protect ourselves. But more often than not, the ways in which we try to cover our shame and the ways in which we try to protect ourselves from the difficulties of this world, they fail us. So, for example, you, you, you may be carrying a whole lot of pain this time of year, and one of the ways in which you numb that pain is by spending money you don't have. Because I'd, ra- I'd rather put smiles on other people's faces 
and go into debt than feel my own feelings and be honest about the difficulties of my life. Or, or maybe what you do is, is you just lie to everybody. And the lie looks like this. How are you doing? I'm great. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Meanwhile, dying inside, dying inside, dying inside. Life is terrible. I'm hurting, dying. And you don't tell anybody. And you're covering up. You're covering up. It's not working for you, is it? Or what you do is, is you're hurting and you let everybody know it by putting up a wall. But you don't let anybody through it. Everybody knows that you're like Scrooge, bah humbug, all over the place. But it's just a wall. It's a protection mechanism, not letting anybody in. And so you get real sour this time of year. Everybody knows you're hurting, but you don't let anybody through that wall of pain to actually help you in that hurting. Or, or, and this is a tough one, you know what some people do? Rather than feel their feelings and deal with their grief and acknowledge that they need something greater to cover over them and help them, you know what they do? They just drink red wine. That's what they do. Now, a couple, a couple glasses this time of year is good for the soul. I got a Bible verse to back it up. But it is not a covering for your shame. Amen. And it is not a way to protect yourself or hide in this life. That is a way to destroy yourself, right? Amen. The ways in which we try to cover ourselves and protect ourselves as we deal with this grief, it does not help us. And what you need to remember is that a greater covering is coming and indeed has come for you and been given to you. Now, now you might be wondering, well, how do I know that I have been covered over in forgiveness, that my shame is actually hidden from the eyes of the Father and that I am protected from the worst that this world has to offer? How do I know that I have that? Well, there's a number of avenues in which God delivers that to us, but, but the foundational one, the primary one, is one that probably has already happened to you that you need to remember and return to, and that's the promise of your own baptism. You see, that's not just a rite or a ritual for which we pose for pictures. When you're baptized into God's family, what do the scriptures say? You are baptized into Christ. It says that you are baptized into a robe of righteousness. What? That in some way in which we cannot see, fathom, or understand, God is reaching down from heaven and he is publicly, personally, officially taking the work of Jesus Christ and letting it lay hold of you, claim you, wrap around you. You go from death to life. God is saying in the promise of baptism, whether it happened when you were young or happens when you were old, God is saying in that moment, this kid is mine. I know they live east of Eden in a horrible world. I know they're part of humanity that rejected me, but still I have chosen them and I have made some clothing for them. I have wrapped them in forgiveness that they have not earned and in promises that I will keep and that can never be shaken from them. You're a baptized child of God. This is all true for you. You are wrapped in the work of Jesus. You're wrapped in the work of Jesus. And the invitation for you is to remember that. I got some cheesy homework for you, okay? But, but since you've already endured 80s pop Christmas, I figure you're down to, to indulge me on one last thing. The cheesy but important homework for you this holiday season is this. I want to encourage you to repeat a particular phrase in your heart and mind over and over this season. And the particular phrase is this, a greater covering is coming. Indeed, it's already come for the baptized followers of Jesus, but, but that's what Advent is all about. This is what we're anticipating at Christmas. This is what we're celebrating. A greater covering is coming. And here's, here's how you're going to remember to do it. There's a lot of clothing this time of year. And here's what I want you to do. 
When you put your arm through that sport coat that you only wear once a year when you go to Christmas Eve, I want you to say to yourself, I look good, but a greater covering is coming. That's what I want you to do. When you take that sweatshirt that Aunt Linda made for you that is horrific, but you got to wear it because you love Aunt Linda, when you're putting your head through that sweatshirt or that sweater, whatever it is, when you pop your head through that and say, I'm doing this out of love, I look like a child, but a greater covering is coming. When you get the kids all dressed up and they look dolled up and picture perfect and you get them ready to come to church on Christmas Eve or go to grandma's, just say to yourself, this is good, but a greater covering is coming over and over. That, that's what Advent is about. A, something greater is on its way and a covering that will cover your shame and protect you in the worst that this world has to offer is coming for you. That's the great promise. What are you going to do to remind yourself of what this season is all about, of the clothing that really counts? What are you going to do? A what are you going to do? A greater covering is coming. Let me close with this. Um, if you've been at St. Mark for a little while, you know that, that, um, that I've become kind of enamored, almost annoyingly enamored with AI, especially the, the image generation software that's available. It's just fascinating to me. And so earlier this week, I went to, to AI, one of the image generating software uh, engines, and I, I asked it to, to choose an outfit for me for Christmas Eve. I, I gave it some prompts, and I said, um, what... How should I dress? And I told, I told them who I was. I said, I'm a very trendy. Um, <laughs> um, a surprisingly young-looking 43-year-old pastor of the greatest church in Houston. Okay? That's, that, that's what I told it. Yeah. It's true. And I, and I said, you know, uh, I need, picture me in an outfit perfect for Christmas Eve. And th this, is what it, this is what it gave to me. This is what it gave to me. <laughs> now, I just want to say, the, you got to be honest, the resemblance is uncanny. <laughs> I know that's what you're responding to. The resemblance is uncanny. I'm not, I'm not so sure about the tie. It's like a bow tie, regular tie combo. I do, I do kind of like the sport coat, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm not quite sure what to make of that. I might have to just wear whatever my wife picks out for me. That might be <laughs> what you see on Christmas Eve. D just a reminder, th this time of year is in so many ways about the clothing. But this time of year is also about what you are wearing on the inside. And so many of us are wearing on the inside heaviness, shame, pain, worry, fear, anxiety. And, and, and look, I, I know that we're tempted to cover ourselves and protect ourselves with a fake smile or with lots of spending or a little bit of indulgence. Like, I understand that, but, but you are invited in this season to remember that something greater is coming for you and indeed already has come in Jesus Christ. That there is, there is, there is clothing that has been handmade for you that was in the works from the very beginning that, that is the, the foretaste of fashion. And that is a righteousness, a goodness that you cannot own, that you cannot earn, rather, a forgiveness that you cannot lose and promises that protect you from whatever you will face. And that is given to you and wrapped around you and it is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. As we celebrate this year, may you be reminded that that is what we wear and that is why we celebrate each and every day throughout the year. Amen.